Today is the day the Lord has made. Let's not move past that for a moment. Today is the day the Lord has made. He's made this day. This day didn't happen without him. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I am excited for today because we get to start a new sermon series. And I always like when we get to start a new sermon series. Today we're looking at uh, the first part of a number of weeks that we'll be looking at a, a church empowered. A church empowered. And, and specifically, we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts and the role they have in empowering a church. And so over these next number of weeks, my hope is that you will learn and discover your spiritual gift, and not just learn it and know it, but you'll start using it. At least in three different areas in the Bible, spiritual gifts are discussed. They're talked about. But the most lengthy discussion comes here in the middle of the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm just going to say it right now. There are a lot of different opinions on spiritual gifts. Are they still in use? Are only some of them still in use? Are all of them or none of them? I mean, there are a lot of different opinions. And I'll just be, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like even, even like pastors, theologian, commentaries who I like, even within that, that realm, there are people who have different thoughts and opinions. And like all things at Peace Church, our hope is not to give you the reform perspective or to give you the charismatic perspective. Our hope is to give you the biblical perspective. And so we're going to take the next number of weeks to slowly walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. But before we get in, like maybe some of you are like, what, what, what are we even talking about? What, what, what are spiritual gifts? Well, let me give you a, what is a, a kind of a thorough, but a basic definition. And this is, this is going to be probably the most accepted definition among all of Orthodox Christianity. So here's what I'd say spiritual gifts are. A spiritual gift is a supernaturally empowered ability given to each Christian by the will of the Holy Spirit to unite and fully equip the church to live out its mission. Now, I get that's a mouthful, but let's break it down again because this is important. We're going to hit some important themes here. A spiritual gift is a supernaturally empowered ability. Supernaturally empowered. It may not always be supernatural, like in the sense of it's a, like miraculous, but it's empowered supernaturally, supernaturally, beyond our own innate nature. This is something the Holy Spirit does, a supernaturally empowered ability that is given. It's a gift. We don't earn it. We don't decide it. It's given to us, those who are Christians, those who are um, proclaimed the name of Jesus. It's given to each Christian by the will of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about him in a few moments. But he has decided under his own will what gift Christian, each Christian will get. And we have these gifts to see the church united and equipped to do what God has called us to do in this world. So hopefully you are already, but if not, would you please start turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today is the introduction. It'd be very easy just to skip over these first three verses and just maybe assimilate them into the next passage, but I think it's important to look at the introduction that Paul gives to the, to the discourse on spiritual gifts. And this is, what, this, is what this is. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians. Now, even though it says 1 Corinthians, let me just say this. This is probably more like his second letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And this is important to remember because even within this letter, we see Paul reference an earlier letter that he wrote. 
So probably what happened is that Paul wrote a letter to this church that he helped start. He leaves, writes them a letter. They write back and they ask him a series of questions about sexual ethic, about morality, about culture, about the Christian faith. And Paul writes back to answer some of those questions. So even though it's his 1 Corinthians, it's probably more like actually his second letter. And at this section, we get to talk about spiritual gifts. And clearly, they had asked about the spiritual gifts. And there's people um, who like to know what we're going to be preaching about. And so every now and again, I'll get people ask me, hey, what are you going to be preaching on, on soon? And when I told people, like in December, that this month we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts for a number of weeks, of all the people I told, I got one of basically two different reactions. One, one set of people, one, one set of reaction basically was kind of like, oh, you're preaching on spiritual gifts. That's awesome. I'm guessing that you probably want to lead Peace Church into a deeper experience and expression of the working of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to see that happen. I want to I see us experience more of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and what he has for us. But I also had another group of people I, I, these are probably like the, the more practical people. And they said, oh, you're preaching on spiritual gifts, huh? Spiritual gifts are how people find out where they serve in your church. So, oh, I see what's happening. You, you need more volunteers, don't you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, church could always do with more people serving. And while we have a very uh, proactive church that loves to give and serve, um, I know there are people here who have a spiritual gift and you're sitting on it. And we can't be the church God's called us to be unless we're all using this, our, the gift that God's given us. And actually, that, that's my response to both like the, 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 the charismatic people and the, the really practical people. To, to both sets of Christians, my, my response is just that. Well, the truth is that we are talking about spiritual gifts because I want to see Peace Church empowered to be the church that God has called us to be, and we cannot be that unless every single person who calls Peace Church their home is aware of and is using the gift that God has given them. I want to see us be a church empowered. Not empowered by our own strength and our own talent, but empowered by the working of the Holy Spirit himself. And so, with that very long introduction... Um, let me go ahead and let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, we're going to read just the first three verses today. We're not going to pass by these. There's important stuff here uh, that we need to lay a good foundation for as we move forward together through the sermon series. So would you hear the word of the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then we'll continue. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the giver of the spiritual gifts, Lord, that you'd give us a heart to receive, a mind to understand, and the will to respond to your truth today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. 
And all God's people said, amen, amen. So as we walk through these three verses today, just to give you the outline ahead of time, here's what we're going to be looking at. First thing is this, the spiritual gifts take a biblically formed knowledge. And so I'm just going to warn you right now, part of today may feel more like lecture than preaching, but that's because there's a knowledge that we need to embrace if we want to see the gifts in all their fullness. So we need a biblically formed knowledge. We need a perspective-given humility. This is going to be important through this entire series. And of course, the spiritual gifts need a spirit-empowered faith. Now, as we talk about the spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit, while I want to race and go right to talk about the spiritual gifts, we can't talk about the gifts without first talking about the giver of the gifts. So I want to spend a few moments with you as a church, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does. The Holy Spirit, what theologians would say is the doctrine of pneumatology. So let me ask you guys this, and if you're watching online, you can post your answer, or if you're in a, one of our other settings, I, I want, I'm curious. I don't think the answer will be yes for a lot of people, but I could be wrong. How many people here, or in one of our venues or online, how many people grew up with the language of not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Ghost? Could you raise your hands up for me? It's all right. It's okay. All right, about a third. I'm seeing about a third. Interesting. Now, let me, let me be clear here for a moment. I believe that the proper term would be the Holy Spirit. I think that is the right language. But I will say there's something about the Holy Ghost that does kind of capture something in our common language. Let me just first say this, just in case my Greek professor is listening. The, the, the Bible does not use the word ghost. We'll talk about that in a moment. There is a word the Bible uses for ghost. That's not the word the Bible uses when it talks about the Holy Spirit. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it's the word pneuma, which is spirit. Anytime we see the Holy Spirit reference, it's pneuma hagion, the Holy Spirit. That's different than the word ghost. We see the word ghost in the New Testament. It's the word phantasma in the original language. We see it like in an instance where, if you guys remember the story, the disciples are out on the lake and they see Jesus walking on the water. You guys remember the story? And they, they get really scared and they cry out, ah, it's a ghost. In the original language, what they said was, ah, it's a phantasma. Phantasma is where we get our English word phantom. So, I will say, I don't think it's right to say Holy Ghost because that's not what the Bible says. But I will say, there's something about ghost that says something to us that spirit, I don't think, really does. So I think when we talk about spirit, I think some of us think like this ethereal, faceless, nameless, whatever. But when we think of ghost, we think of like, you know, the, the soul of someone who died or something like that. So, I, you know, I think like spirit leads us to think like ethereal. Ghost leads us to think more like a being or something. And, and that is kind of more the idea that we should have around the Holy Spirit. He's not this like ethereal presence, power out there. He's, he is a being. He is a, he's the third member of the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity. Now, let me just say, we're going we're gonna to spend a few, mom few moments as a church talking about what is, without question, the hardest doctrine in all of Christianity. That's the doctrine of God. Nobody fully understands it. 
We see the Bible talk about it, and we see we can have language crafted around it, but no one fully grasps what the Trinity, how it actually works. It's, it's like one-dimensional beings trying to describe a three-dimensional being. We just don't have the capacity to do it. But nonetheless, when we talk about the Trinity, for a long time, theologians have used the word person. That's why I kind of like Holy Ghost, because it makes us think more like a, a person. But we don't use person as in like a perfect definition. They're not like people. We use person not because it's a perfect definition, but because it helps to describe something. So let me just say this. Do you guys hear that? That was like the Lord said, you better get this right. (laughs) We believe in one God. One God. That this God has one essence. That comes from the Latin essay, which means to be. He is one being. But within God, we see the Bibles talk about these three distinctions, and we call them persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We don't have three gods. We have one God who is three in one. Now, let me just ask you for a moment. Are you lost? The answer is yes, in a sense, because like nobody fully gets this, and that's okay, because let me tell you this. It's okay to hold God with a level of mystery. I don't, honestly, I don't want a God I can fully get my head wrapped around. I don't want a God who finds his being and rooting in this plane, in in, in the earthly realm. He is beyond us. He is supernatural. He's a spiritual being. This is beyond our capacity to fully understand. I don't believe it's a contradiction to say he's three in one. I just think we are in this dimension. He's in a higher dimension. But yet, God has stepped into this creation. God has revealed, he has spoken to us so that even though there's this big disconnect between his being and ours, he still wants us to know him. That's the kind of God I want to have. That's the God that we have. He is, of course, beyond us. He is three in one. The Father, the Son, and God the Son became flesh, we now call him Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just briefly give you a quick survey of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more I can talk about with the Trinity. There is so much more I can talk about with the Holy Spirit. But let me just give you some, some highlights real quick. I'm going to move through this fairly fast. There's a lot of references. I'd be happy to send this to you later. If you want to take a camera out, you can take a picture of that too. But here's some things I really want you to know about the Holy Spirit. He was present at creation. And the Spirit hovered above the face of the deep. This is not a New Testament theology. This is a biblical theology that we find throughout the entire pages of Scripture. He was present at creation. He is preexistent. He is with the, God, um, with the Father and with the Son. He was present at Jesus' baptism, and he's present in our baptism. We see the Spirit descend like a dove at Jesus' baptism, and Jesus tells us that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was present at Jesus' baptism. He's present in ours. He is the ultimate author of Scripture, and we are to be filled with him. Jesus tells the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you to be reminded of everything that I taught you so you can write it down. Peter talks about how the the authors of the Old Testament, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as he worked through them writing writing out Scripture. He is the ultimate author of Scripture, and he has come to fill you and to fill me and to fill us as a church. And do you notice? He— We even see the writer's reference that he speaks. Church, listen to me, please. 
We do not speak about the Holy Spirit as an it, but as a him, as a he. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is the author of Scripture. We are to be filled with him, and he has a will, and he gives the spiritual gifts. As we look at next week, we'll look at this verse next week, but it says this. It says, all these gifts are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions, who gives, who decides to each one of us individually as he wills. So we just talked about some of the hardest doctrines in all of Christianity because that's what the Bible teaches us, that we believe in one God who's three in one, that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Again, not because person's a perfect definition, but it helps to describe how the Trinity works. So let me just say this. There's so much more theology I could give you right now about this, and maybe one day we'll, we'll dive deeper into this. But I want to give you something right now, uh, three things for you to think about as a church as we consider what life is like in and with the Holy Spirit. First thing is, is, um, is this. The Holy Spirit is God. And we worship him and we worship in him. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate worship leader. He's the one who calls us into a deeper response and expression to worship. Listen to me, church. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm here, I just, I just feel the Spirit moving. Right? If, you are, if you ever like, are sitting here worshiping and you're singing and you're seeing these lyrics on the, on the screen and you're like moved because you're reminded of the great love that God has for you, the great sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you, if you think that and you're just moved to sing even louder, that is the Holy Spirit working in you. But far too many of us, we come to that point and we, we want to stuff it down because we were taught that worship is like this. And it's like the Spirit causes you to move. I'm not saying you need to run up and down the aisles. Don't trip if you do. But I'm just saying like, don't suppress the Spirit. He's our ultimate worship leader. We need to follow where he's going. He is God and we worship him and we worship in him. Jesus says we worship in the Spirit and in truth. He's God. We worship him. Secondly, we are to pray to him and in him. In a lot of ways, here's the mechanics of prayer. Like we pray in the Spirit through Jesus to the Father. The Spirit works in us as we pray to God. And Jesus, who has justified us, who sanctifies by his blood, by his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the grave, he makes us and our prayers acceptable to God. So in the Spirit, we pray and Jesus takes our prayers. And not because we're righteous, but because he's righteous because he's made us righteous, he makes those prayers acceptable to God. And the Bible says that our prayers are like incense filling the throne room of God. That's a little bit of how the mechanics of the Trinity work in our prayers. Like when we pray, no one's expecting you to pray perfectly. I, I've listened to some people pray in this church, and I'm like, I wish I could pray like that. But it's not us who make our prayers right. God does. The Holy Spirit works in us. So we pray, so we, he's, uh, the Holy Spirit is God. We worship him and we worship in him. We pray to him, we pray in him. And this next point, before I move on, I'm just going to say, like, of everything I'm going to talk about for today, this is the thing I want you to take away. Even though we're only like halfway through, a little bit halfway through the, the message, I want you to hear this, and we're going to continue to build upon this over the next number of weeks. The primary way for you to hear the Holy Spirit speak is to know the Bible. 
he speaks most clearly, definitively, and authoritatively through the scriptures. If you want your children to know and to hear and to love the Holy Spirit, then teach them the Bible. He is the spirit of truth, and the Bible is where he reveals this truth. So when we teach our children the Bible, this will develop in them the truth that they need to see and hear the Spirit in their lives. So let's teach our children the Bible. Let's pray with them, teaching them to pray. Let's get them to church, and let's get them in programming at church so they can see how the Spirit works through every part of this church. Church, we can't have just knowledge of the Spirit. Yes, I'm talking about knowledge today. We need to be formed by Him as we are walking with the Spirit. So here's the deal, church. We can't know the gifts if we don't know the giver of the gifts. How do we see the Spirit work in our lives when well, He bears the fruit? Love, joy, peace. Anyone know the next one? Good job, man. Yeah, thank you. These are ways we see the Spirit work in our lives, but we see Him speak through the pages of Scripture. So let's go back to our verse, and let's, with the time that we have left, let's walk through these three verses as we lay this foundation about gifts. First thing we see in verse 1 is this, that the spiritual gifts take biblically formed knowledge. Paul writes, he says, now concerning, this was a Greek way to say, in light of what you asked me, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Speaking of parents and raising kids real quick, um, and let's go for grandparents too here right now. Let me ask you this. Who spends the most time with your kids and what do they spend the most time doing? Who spends the most time with your kids and what do they spend the most time doing? If you want to look at the formation process of what we are learning as a people in a society, look at who we spend the most time with and what we spend the most time doing. I read a quote um, the other day and it said this. It said that the greatest factor shaping our social conscience is social media. If that's true, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. How many parents let their kids run free online without giving them the knowledge to be able to discern what they are seeing and how it may or may not be forming them? See, when, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they were already experiencing the spiritual gifts on display. They saw the Spirit working in their, in their church, and they wanted to understand what was happening. They wanted to get a handle on what was happening. And so Paul tries to set them straight with biblical truth. Listen, Paul could have just let them run with it. He could have said, you guys want to know about spiritual gifts? Hey, the Holy Spirit's in charge, y'all. Let him do his thing. Don't hold back. Just let him run. But he doesn't. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. Some of your Bibles may say, I don't want you to be ignorant. He wants us to have a knowledge about what's happening, a biblically formed knowledge. He's telling us that we need to have the right information so we can have the right formation around these gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want to point out something really important here that we're going to come back to in the next number of weeks. When asked about spiritual gifts, Paul responds like this. He's not trying to put a stop to it. When, when Paul is asked about the spiritual gifts, he's not trying to stop it. He's trying to shape it. He's not trying to cancel the practice of the spiritual gifts. He wants to correct it. And he does this with 
truth. I'm going to say a few things. And as I, as I, as I was preparing this, it, it felt oddly controversial to me. And it shouldn't be. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the Spirit of truth. Christians, do you agree with that? So, so those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, because we have the Spirit of truth in us, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we should have the best biblical doctrine. Right? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? So there should be no difference between a truly Spirit-led church there should be no difference between a truly spirit-led church and a church grounded by biblical truth that works within the parameters of biblical truth, right? I mean, the spirit can't contradict himself. If he's the spirit of truth, he's going to lay out the truth before us that we get to live and experience. The most spirit-led churches should be the brightest and clearest examples of biblical truth on display. That's my hope for Peace Church. I hope that's your hope for Peace Church. That we don't want to sacrifice truth to be spirit-led and we don't want to quench the spirit so that we can have truth. But we, he is both. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who works in us. He'll never bring us beyond what is right and what is true. Thank you. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's where I'm going with this. So over the next number of weeks, as we see the Holy Spirit revealing his gifts, we are to be a church empowered within the beautiful parameters of godly truth. We will not step outside of that, but we will operate within the fullness of it. Make sense? Okay, so this is important for this. That's really important because I think some of you are like, where are you going with this, pastor? Only where the Bible leads. So let's go to the next, next verse. This will take humility. This will take humility. I think verse 2 shows us this, that, the holy, that spiritual gifts take perspective-given humility. Paul writes, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Listen to me, this, this feels like a passing verse, but let's lay the context here so you can understand exactly what Paul is saying. I'm going to describe for you the city of Corinth where these Christians lived. And as I describe the city, I want you to tell me, does this feel like anything you know? Okay, so these people lived in the city of the ancient city of Corinth. The city that they lived in, as one historian wrote, he said this was a city that was culturally aware, they were materially prosperous, and they were morally corrupt. So they loved to be at the forefront of culture. They were people who were fairly well-to-do, and yet they were morally corrupt. Do you know a place like that? No, I wasn't going to say it, but... Well, well, let's continue on. Not only that, Corinth was known far and wide in the ancient world. Corinth was known far and wide for its pride of sexual shamelessness. Corinth was known as a place that had no grounding sexual ethic. It was a place where just about anything went. In fact, in the city of Corinth, at the summit of the city, and the highest point, was the temple to Aphrodite. If you want to know who she is, you can ask your parents later. This was the temple of Aphrodite. And, and worship, 
in this temple was in the form of having sex with temple prostitutes, what they called priestess. That was how the people of Corinth worshipped. They went to the temple of Aphrodite and they would make, you know what, with the temple prostitutes, with the temple priestess there. That was their culture. They literally would worship in the form of sex. Now, what's important to note is that unlike some of the other New Testament churches that we see Paul write to, most of the Christians in, in, in Corinth, they did not come from a Jewish background. They come from a pagan background. That's why Paul says, when you were pagans, they were not Jewish, they were not formerly Christians, they were pagans who lived in a pagan city. They were Gentiles, not Jewish. And so with that context of where they came from, you, you get an idea of what Paul is saying here. You know that when you were pagans, that you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led, wink, wink, we know what you did. Listen, you, you were called out of darkness. You're experiencing the Holy Spirit and you have questions and that's okay. But you came out of darkness. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians here is that before you, before you came to Christ, you walked in darkness. You followed things that could not speak. You followed things that could not lead you. And you're, you, you're, you were blinded by sexual fulfillment. And because of that, you were lost in darkness. Paul, Paul is saying that for however that happened, whether that was at the temple of Aphrodite, whether you followed a cult, or whether you just followed the rest of the culture of your city, you were led astray. And you were led astray to live a life that didn't give you anything. It only took from you. Because listen to me. When you engage in sexual activity outside the bounds of a covenantal, beautiful marriage, you're not getting something. You're only giving and you're not getting anything. That's not God's design for you. He has something better for you. Our sexual expression is meant to be fulfilled in the context of a marriage that God has ordained. Outside of that, it's taken from you, it's taken from you, and keeping you in darkness but we don't feel like it because we feel sexually fulfilled. But that's spiritual blindness. Paul says you are following a path that led you nowhere, following a silent religion that spoke no truth. But now that you have the truth in you, now that you know the Spirit, now that you walk in the light, you need to keep that humility as you see what God is doing in this world. We need perspective-given humility about where we've come from and where we are. That we need to have a spirit-empowered faith. Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Yes, yes, you are seeing the gifts being used. That's great. But here's the question you need to ask. Are they affirming the Lordship of Jesus Christ? If they are affirming the Lordship of Jesus, if they are making Jesus primary, then that should be comforting to you. And I think a lot, a lot of churches, they really want to focus on the Holy Spirit. And that's great because he's God. But a true focus on the Holy Spirit will lead us to a true focus of Jesus. And let me say this. I've, if you've heard me preach any length of time, you've probably heard me say something like this before. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it anytime the Bible leads me to it, and I'm going to say it as long as I think, I think there's a problem here. 
in the Holy Spirit, we are led to say, Jesus is Lord. Notice Paul doesn't say God. He doesn't even say Christ. He doesn't point to the Trinity. He says Jesus. Those who are in the Spirit will say, Jesus is Lord. Far too many self-proclaimed Christians are too scared to say the name Jesus. You want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life? You want to see the power of the Spirit work through you? Say the name Jesus. Why? Because there's love in his name. There's truth in his name. There's hope in his name. There's power in his name. We are a church that says the name Jesus. I know it's not popular. You were never called to be popular. We're called to be empowered. That's walking in step with the Spirit. Church, men, do you say the name Jesus? Do you say it to your children? Do you say it to your wife? Do you say it to your coworkers? Do you say it online? Do we say the name Jesus? I know what the world thinks about every other situation and every other topic that's out there, but are we saying the name Jesus? No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Far too many of us seemingly are embarrassed of this name, and we never say it. That's not a Spirit-empowered faith. His name is everything. Jesus himself says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, before the world, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, like, if you're going to act like you don't know me while you're on earth, why should I act like I know you in heaven? Church, there's too much going on for us to be sidelined. Like, you want to be empowered? Say the name Jesus. You want to see the Spirit work? Say the name Jesus. At the end of the day, you have to decide who are you going to offend. In our world, there's no getting around being offensive. The world doesn't play like that anymore. The world doesn't allow that anymore. The other day, I was uh, on Facebook, and I saw a pastor, a friend of mine, who's out of state, and he, he, he posted what was a very nice, I thought, inconsequential post about how Christians are to love their neighbor. Very basic idea to the Christian ethic. We are to love our neighbor. And his comment section literally went thermonuclear with a massive debate, I'm guessing between Christians, about whether or not getting the vaccine is loving your neighbor. There is no saying anything that doesn't offend somebody in this day. People are too heated. People are too polarized. Even staying silent, they say nowadays, silence is violence. You have to decide who are you going to offend. Are you going to not say the name of Jesus? Are you going to deny him and offend him? Or are you going to choose to say the name Jesus and run the risk of offending somebody? We have to decide who we are going to offend. And church, let me say this. By the power of the Spirit, may you say with your own lips, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Lord. If we truly believe by faith that he gave up his life 
on the cross to pay for our sins, that he rose from the dead to prove who he said he was, that, that he's now taken his seat in heaven as Lord of all, why would, be, why would we, we be embarrassed or afraid to say Jesus is Lord? I'll say it again. If you want to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then say Jesus is Lord, and you'll see the Spirit work. You may see the world react, but you will see the Spirit work. So let's be a church empowered over these next number of weeks as we dive fuller into the experience of the fullness of the Spirit of truth according to his truth. And at the same time, let's be a people more ready to serve with the gifts that he has given us so that our church might be the church that God intends. With this quick foundation laid, we're going to continue to build upon it as we look at specific gifts and their role in the church today. And my prayer is that you will discern your gift and use it. Amen. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing by the blood of Jesus you receive our prayers. And Lord, I would pray right now, Holy Spirit, our great worship leader, would you work in us that we would sing praises as we proclaim and declare the name of Jesus. We pray this for the glory of God, for the joy of the church, and for the good of our neighbor. Amen.